You're listening to a podcast from Northeast Christian Church. For more information about Northeast, go to ncclex.org. Thanks for listening. Well, as Micah mentioned, this series is titled Trainwreck. And in our contemporary vernacular, that term is a word picture for absolute disaster. It represents carnage and destruction. And through this series, what we're doing is we're teaching you how to train wreck some key areas of your life. And today we're going to focus on marriage. Now some of you might be sitting there thinking, why would I go to church to find out how to train wreck a perfectly good marriage? Well, the truth is that often we are way more mindful of less of the details of our marriage and so many of the ancillary things around us that we can actually go through life thinking that our marriage is great when we're actually headed toward a a train wreck and we don't even realize it. Oftentimes it's based on decisions that we make or decisions that we don't make. So today what I want to do is I want to show you in the context of the safety of this church family just how easy it is to train wreck your marriage. And we're going to do that, and then what we'll do is examine some godly insights that I believe if they're applied to our lives, God will use them to make a huge difference to strengthen your marriage. And for those of you that are single, for the marriage that you will have someday in the years to come. So as we jump into this, I I need some help from you all. How many of you here are married? Just raise your hand here a second. Okay, good. Questions are easy, aren't they? Simple. How many of you, you'd be, you'd be fine if you were married, right? Okay, at first service, there were a couple of people raised their hand, and they were sitting right next to each other, and they were like, hey, how's it going? Good seeing you. E-Harmony right here, right here, right now. So we're trying to help out, so look around if you see somebody. Here's the question. If you're married, and you, or you wouldn't mind being married at some point, here's the question I have for you. How many of you have a plan in your head right now to commit adultery? Go ahead, raise your hands. <laughs> Wait a minute. Oh, hey, I don't want that. <laughs> how, how many, how many, I had one junior high boy in the first service said, yeah, I think I'm cool with that. Yeah. Any mentally sane people that would say, yeah. What's interesting about that response, a lot of married people in here, a lot of people would like to be married, nobody has a plan to commit adultery, and yet people do it all the time. They do it all the time. In Exodus, the 20th chapter, verse 14, this is one of the Ten Commandments, God says, you shall not commit adultery. It's pretty clear. He's real direct on that. There's not a lot of wiggle room in there. He's pointing out this is not, this is not good. And it's interesting that even if you go outside of the Christian world, And you ask people about this topic, what you find is the general population as a rule, the vast majority of the general population believes that adultery is wrong. It doesn't mean that they don't do it, but they believe it's wrong. So you have Christians and non-Christians alike who believe that adultery is something that we shouldn't do. And yet it happens a lot. In fact, it's pretty widespread. There's some research data to point this out. The Janus Report on Sexual Behavior estimates that more than one-third of men and one-quarter of women 
admit to having had at least one extramarital sexual experience. It's pretty staggering. A similar survey by the National Opinion Research Center based out of the University of Chicago found that 25% of men and 17% of women had been unfaithful to their marital partner at one time. Using that second study's research, it's the lesser of the two, that's approximately 19 million husbands and 12 million wives who have self-identified through the research study that they had been unfaithful. That's a lot of people. And I hope it gets all of our attention. Now, one thing about this message, my objective today is not to create fear and anxiety to the, for those of you who are married or those of you who desire to be married. But I do want to address this issue. And we're going we're gonna to address it, as Micah mentioned, from a different angle. I want to give you three steps that if you put these three steps into place, you will train wreck your marriage. Promise you. All right? I want you to do that. I want to give you these three steps so that when we get to the godly insights at the, after, after I share those with you, we're going to jump into these godly insights, they'll really stand out. You'll see how vividly important they are. Okay? Now, I'm going to do this as sarcastically as I can. Last week, uh, mom told me that her teenage son, he was out in the lobby in the restroom somewhere, and he came in after we had started, and I was doing this with how to train wreck your relationship with God, and the whole time he kept looking at his mom like, what is he talking about, you know? So if someone comes in, sits down next to you, we've launched, just let them know that I've lost my mind, okay? Just let them know. If you want to potentially risk it all, here are the three steps to take to train wreck your marriage. The first is neglect your marriage. Neglect your marriage. If you don't want to have intimacy in your marriage anymore, if you want to potentially lead yourself to do something stupid, just neglect your marriage. And it's very simple. Just find something else to give all your attention to. It could be anything, really. It could be a hobby. It could be your job. It could be your lawn. It could be social media. It could even be your kids. Whatever it is, just do it and neglect your marriage. In the course of neglecting your marriage, I also want to encourage you to let yourself go. All right? Be less appealing, less attractive. You, may, you used to kind of take care of yourself. You know, put your best foot forward. Bring your A game, so to speak, right? Don't do that anymore. Stop doing that. Take your spouse completely for granted. Don't talk to them. Don't have any kind of emotional intimacy whatsoever. Don't share your feelings. Some of you guys don't have any problem with that anyway. But don't open up. And when it comes to physical intimacy, if you have to do it, make it boring. Okay? Just make it predictable. I'm not going to go into a whole lot because there's kids in the room. But you know what I'm talking about. Just be a dud in the bedroom. All right? What's so funny about that? I'm trying to help you train wreck your marriage. Neglect your marriage. Second step. Second step. Connect with someone else. This is easy to do. Just form an emotional bond with someone who you have maybe something in common with. Some common interests. Find someone who you might possibly find interesting or attractive and do a lot of things with them. It could be a project, a person you're working on a project with at work. Or maybe it's somebody who you're taking a class with at the, at the gym. Whatever the case is, find someone to connect with. And then, what I want you to do is spend all the time you can with them. And tell yourself through that, well, he understands me. 
Or she laughs at my jokes. My spouse never gets me. Start bonding with them emotionally, which should be easy to do because you've been neglecting your spouse emotionally, remember? And you've got emotional needs, and this person is right there, and they will meet those needs. So let them. And whatever you do, don't let your spouse know about this person. Ladies, dress up a little bit. Guys, suck in your gut. Flirt a little bit. Text after work. If you want to make it spiritual, just tell them, I'm praying for you. This is just disgusting. God is leading me to care for you spiritually. This is just Hang with me, okay? I know that's just dumb. Hang with me. If you want to train wreck your marriage, neglect your marriage, connect with someone else, and then the third thing is rationalize your behavior. Make excuses. Blame your spouse. Well, if he was meeting my needs, I wouldn't be doing this. Or if she would pay more attention to me, I wouldn't be doing this. Find ways to blame your spouse. And tell yourself, I'm not happy. And God wants me to be, for me to be happy no matter what. Now, this is really important. Tell yourself you'll never actually go through with it. You know, you never cross that final line, right? It's just harmless. It's just playful, and, and if you get really, really close, tell yourself, well, maybe, just maybe, the other, this, this relationship was what was meant to be. Maybe this is what God really intended for me all along, and I just missed it. All right, time out. Okay, enough of that. Everybody clear? If you just walked in, I'm being sarcastic. I'm not really wanting to train wreck your marriage, but I want to give you some perspective. Some of those things may have resonated with you because you've said them or you've thought them. Maybe you even have done them. I want you to know that I'm being sarcastic when I'm talking about train wrecking your marriage. The last thing I would want to do was to see any marriage here end up that way. The truth is none of us plan to betray the one that we promised before God to love in sickness and in, for, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. But people do it all the time. So in the time that we have left, I want to turn the tables on this topic, and I want to share some godly insights. I want to give you a few key action steps to think about and to, to implement in your life that I think will be very beneficial to keep from train wrecking your marriage. All right, so here's the three key actions that we're going to look at. First one, do everything to radically reduce the risk of adultery. Do everything to radically reduce the risk of adultery. When the Bible talks about other sins, it tells us to fight them and resist them. Sexual sin is the only sin the Bible doesn't say that we should fight against it or resist it. Do you know what the Bible says we should do when we face sexual sin? It says we're to run away from it. Flee sexual immorality is what it says. Now why is that? Well, Paul answers that question in 1 Corinthians 6, 18. He says, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. None of the other sins that Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians, the, the letter to the church there in Corinth, actually create a bodily union between you and another person. But sexual sin does that. It contaminates our body by uniting it with immorality. 
That's why Paul said this in verse 13 of chapter 6. He says, The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. This sin is very, very different from any other sin. So we need to run from it when we see it coming. When we face it, we need to turn and we need to run from it. In Proverbs, the fifth chapter, starting with verse 8, we read about this father who is talking to his son about an adulterous woman. Look what he says. Keep to a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house. What he's saying here is stay as far away as possible from this woman. Yet we know that. And we know that it is dangerous, yet a lot of people rationalize their behavior, kind of inching closer to her door. I'm not really doing anything wrong, we say. This, this is harmless. Nothing really is happening here. Besides, everybody does this. Don't allow yourself to drift in the direction of this sin. If you do, what happens is you end up crossing line after line, and each time you think, I haven't committed adultery, but you're crossing lines, getting closer and closer. Think about that for a second. In, in our thinking, the line is way over there. But we need to understand that the line for sin actually exists right here. It's in our mind. The line for sin starts before we ever commit an action. It actually starts in our thinking. For so many people, the line for sin is in the wrong place. We think it's way out there. I want to make sure that you know that the line for sin, this sin, but all sin, but specifically this sin, starts in our mind with the thoughts that we entertain, the thoughts that we allow to come in to our thinking. That's why Jesus said this in Matthew, the fifth chapter, verse 28. He says, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully, that's a sin in your mind, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So be cautious. Be very, very cautious on what you think about. Let me ask you this question. If your spouse were to see a video of everything that you do all day long, and you may think that's not possible, but there are cameras everywhere. Have you noticed that? It's almost possible. It's almost possible. But if they could see everything that you said and everything that you did, would they feel loved by your actions or would they feel hurt by them? Think about your past week. Did you laugh at a joke that you shouldn't have laughed at? Did you say something to a coworker that was inappropriate? Were you entertained by something that your spouse would have said, that's hurtful to me? And for those of you that aren't married, and you're probably sitting there thinking, man, this is an easy week for me, right? I get a pass because I'm not married. Lay it on those married people, dude. Lay it on them. Well, I'm going to get in your business just for a second, okay? Think about this. If your future spouse saw what, what you did this week, would he or she be pleased you know, some, some of us are doing some things right now that a future spouse might look at and say, that's just hurtful to me. Here's what I want to do. I want to give you a few guardrails to put in place to eliminate risk here. All right? The first one is this. Keep a growing relationship with Jesus. 
Keep a growing relationship with Jesus. If you're married, what could be more powerful than an intimate spiritual time with your spouse every day? Whether you're sharing what God is showing you in his word or whether you're praying with each other before you head off to work or whether you're talking about spiritual things with your kids. Whatever it is, when you're sharing spiritual intimacy, you will grow. And the benefit of that is that helps you to recognize sinful thoughts when they come into your mind, as well as it'll give you something to focus on that is of spiritual, healthy thoughts. So, keep a growing relationship with Jesus, personally and collectively as a couple. Secondly, never be alone with the wrong people. Now, I'm going to explain this just a minute. Some of you, this is going to offend, and I'm okay with that, I guess. Some of you are going to think that I'm a bit of a prude or maybe just stupid. But I personally won't be alone with a woman, period. Unless it's my wife, one of my two daughters, my mom, my two sisters, or my mother-in-law. My mother-in-law is safe, trust me. She's safe. I won't be alone with them. If I have a meeting in the office, I'll leave the door open if it's appropriate, if it's confidential. I'll shut the door, but I won't meet in a room that doesn't have a window. And I always try to position myself so that anybody who's walking by can look in that window and see me. I do it for my benefit, but I also do it for the benefit of this church family. I don't travel anywhere by myself and with a woman, except for those ladies that I just mentioned that were on the list. Some of you may think that's kind of silly. I won't go from here to a restaurant here in Hamburg, just a few blocks. I just won't do it. Now, some of you work in environments where this is normal and accepted. I would tell you this. Just because it's normal and accepted doesn't always mean that it's wise. It just doesn't. One of my very good friends who was the lead minister at a church in the northwest part of our nation didn't take these precautionary measures seriously. He started crossing line after line, and eventually it led to him losing his church and then finally his marriage. And I can tell you there was a ton of pain and suffering that went along with it, not just for him, but for a lot of people, a lot of people. Listen, you can be wise or you can be foolish. The one thing I know about foolishness is that it often ends with trouble. We must do everything we can to keep a path far from this potential trouble. Fair? All right. The third guardrail. Never talk bad about your spouse. Okay? (laughs) It's a challenge sometimes. Not for me, but for you all, I'm sure. Just don't do it, right? Even if he or she is a royal pain, even they're being a class A jerk right now, do not speak ill. Don't say bad things about them. Please. And whatever you do, Do not post negative things about your spouse on whatever social media platform you utilize. Just don't do it. The next guardrail, connect with mentor marriages. There are a lot of great marriages around this place. Get around them. You become like the people that you're around. So surround yourself with marriages that are growing spiritually so that those people can speak truth into your lives. What I want to do is be around people that I want to become like. If you're around people who are always trash-talking their spouse, and they're always going out and doing stupid things, getting hammered, and then putting themselves in difficult, challenging, bad environments, remember what we talked about last week. 
bad company corrupts good character. So hang around good company. Okay, number five, the last guardrail. Avoid all unhealthy places. That may sound extreme and difficult, but we're going to put it out there as a guardrail. Just don't go where you might be tempted. So if you're on a business trip and everybody on the team is going out for drinks, maybe you sit this one out because it would be better for your marriage if you did. Or maybe you get a private message on social media from an ex-boyfriend or girlfriend from a while back and they say, hey, I'm in town, just want to swing by and say hello. Delete, delete, delete. You're not the one to win them to Christ. Promise you. Maybe, just maybe you're struggling with looking at lustful images on your iPad or one of your other devices. Block those sites. Just go ahead and do it. Block those sites. And then reach out to somebody for accountability. Somebody who you trust will walk alongside with you to help you to deal with this this temptation. In fact, you might be in a situation right now where you're actually flirting with danger. If it's at work, Ask to be moved to another department. I'm serious about this. If you're in danger, I'd advise you to find another job if your company won't move you. Because it's a whole lot easier to find a new job than it is to try to rebuild a 20 plus year marriage because you did something stupid. Please, be wise. Avoid danger at all costs. Okay, so do everything to radically reduce the risk of train wreck in your marriage. The second action I want to challenge you to do is do all you can to invest in your marriage. And I would say do it with passion. Be passionate about it. Let's go back to Proverbs again. Proverbs 5. He's talking, the father's still talking to his son. And he says this, may your fountain or your marriage be blessed and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. A loving doe and a graceful deer. May her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. Why, my son, be intoxicated with another man's wife? Why embrace the bosom of a wayward woman? What's the father saying here? He's using some pretty intimate terms. I don't know if you caught it. Okay? Some pretty intimate terms here. What he's saying here is if the grass seems greener somewhere else, it's time to water your own yard. It's time to water your own. Be intoxicated with the love that you have for your spouse. Let me say this. After 32 years of marriage to my best friend, I am more in love with her today than I've ever been in my whole life. That's honest truth. And I'm so grateful for her. I know she's in here somewhere. I don't know where she's sitting. But I mean it, honey. You know that. And uh, I'll, I'll prove it to you later. Okay. Hey, hey. I have jewelry. My, my youngest daughter was in the first service, and she is scarred now. Okay. If you want a marriage like that, if you want a marriage that's vibrant, where you, you would describe yourself as being intoxicated for your spouse, consistently invest in your own marriage and do it with passion. Let me give you a couple investments to make. This is not exhaustive, but these are three very key ones. Number one, guard your alone time. Guard your alone time. The difference between just taking one night every week where it's just you and your spouse saying, this is our night, no kids, just mom and dad, just our time together, it's a game changer. 
total game changer. Get regular time alone. Second, second investment. Make time to share spiritually. Pray together. You will never, you will never regret that. It's very powerful when you pray together. Talk together about what God is doing in your life, in your job, in the family, in this church, in your neighborhood, in whatever you're involved in. Make time to share spiritually. And then the the third investment is make time for intimacy. If you have to schedule it in your, in your, in your uh, calendar, do that. Whatever it is, it's a vitally important part of the marriage relationship. So make time for it. And here's, here's an important thing to note. If you had something special at one time in, your, in the intimacy department in your marriage, but it's not there anymore, you can have it again. You can have it again. God can heal that. He can rekindle that. Start doing again what you once did. So do whatever it takes to invest in your marriage. Let me give you a a great way of remembering this, okay? The first is this. Get alone, get spiritual, get naked, okay? It's very simple. Can I say that? I I just did, sorry. Okay, that's the part that really scarred Natalie. (laughs) It's a marriage investment strategy. Trust me, ladies, your husband won't forget that. I promise you. It's a simple strategy. Get alone, get spiritual. You get the idea, okay? The last, the last action to take, do everything you can in order to see the train wreck that you will cause if you stray. Do you want to be faithful? Then think ahead. Think about what could happen if you stepped out on your spouse, if you cheated on your husband or your wife. Look what, the, look what the writer of Proverbs 5 again says, the father talking to his son. For the lips of the adulterous woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end she is bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. And it's not just the adulterous woman, the adulterous man. He leads in the same direction. His steps lead you to death as well. Visualize the destruction. Guys, imagine sitting down with your kids and having to say, I'm not going to live here anymore because, because of what I did. Wives, think about saying to your kids, Dad had, Dad's moved out. He's really upset with me. Because of my actions. Try to visualize the destruction. I know it's painful on the front end, but if you can think about it, it can help you to keep from going there. Now, here's the, here's the troubling thing for me. Even after all of this, even after the last 15, 20 minutes or so of talking about these godly insights to protect your marriage, there are some in here who will still think, I don't care. Whatever you say, fine. I'm still going to go where I want to go and do what I want to do anyway. And you're thinking in your mind that your current marriage isn't all that great and you think that that other person is so much better and you think, you just think that you'll just make a change, right? You'll just make a change. You'll change out from there and you'll go over there. And you'll just marry that person and you'll live happily ever after. Let me give you a reality check. This is kind of interesting. If, you, if you'll play along with me. Do you know that of all the marriages that happen after someone has an adulterous affair, only 3% of those who have an affair will actually marry the person that they cheated with? 
And statistically, we know that 75% of those marriages are going to end in divorce. You know what the odds are that your marriage with that person who you think is way better than the person you're married to right now is? That that marriage will make it? It's 0.75%. That's 0.75%. That's what we call a long shot here in Kentucky. It's less than 1%. Now, why is that the case? It's because you have a relationship that is built on deceit. You don't have truth there. You don't have integrity there. You don't have Jesus there. You have a relationship that is built on lies. And I will tell you, that is a, that is a first-class recipe for a train wreck. Please, please don't choose someone else over the person you pledged to be faithful to. Even if you've made mistakes, even if you've stepped out, God can put it all back together. Now, let me say this. I know every time we do a message like this, that there are tears in this room because there are a lot of people who've been hurt significantly because of this type of sin or temptation. I saw a couple after the first service, and I just went up to them and I said, hey, are you okay? Because they went through this. God put their marriage back together again. But I know it's hard for them to hear this. And for some of you, it is hard for you to hear this. I want you to know that those of you who have been betrayed, you need to know that that breaks God's heart. It may not be fixed yet. Or you you may be by yourself now. But you need to know God knows your heart. And trust me, we care. It breaks my heart too. I want you to know this. Whatever you've been through, God can heal it. God can put it back together. He can fix your heart. Now I also know that in a group this size that there are plenty of folks who were the person who betrayed their spouse. And some of you are here because you want to heal and you want to grow through this. I want to encourage you that the grace of God is very real. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You're not going to be judged here. We're not going to push you away because of your sin. If there is true repentance, then there can be forgiveness and healing. The arms of God are wide open if you just come back to him. Please know, I know this is a heavy, heavy topic. And it hits home to some of you personally. I think all of us have been touched by this in some way or or another. Whether it was a family member, maybe it was a parent. I had a guy to stop me after first service and he said, I went through this with my mom and dad when I was in elementary school. I still feel it. It's real. It's real. But I want to end with some really good news. Can I give you this? We talked about a lot of hard stuff, a lot of painful stuff. Listen to what Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.13. He said, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. If we are faithless, and here's the deal, every single one of us will sin. We're going to sin in some way, shape, or form. None of us are perfect, but the good news is God is always faithful. Whatever the enemy meant to destroy, our God can rebuild. He can heal it. He can forgive it. 
He can make all things new, even when we're unfaithful. So if you were the one who was hurt in this way, you can argue all day long, and you would be absolutely correct that adultery is biblical grounds for divorce. But will you do me a favor, and will you consider that adultery is also biblical grounds for forgiveness? Our God can take what the enemy meant to destroy, and he can restore it, and he can make it new again. He can make it even better than it was before. Don't give up on it. Let's protect our marriages. Even if you're not married, let's protect the future marriage that may come your way. Let's pray. Lord, I I pray today in the power of your Holy Spirit that you will do a mighty work in our hearts. I know, God, that for some, this is a painful message, and my heart is heavy for them. I pray, God, that they would see that the reason we do this is to, to hopefully protect others, to keep others from being hurt in the same way that they were. Maybe we can spare that pain for a handful of marriages here. God, I ask your spirit would strengthen us to keep us from giving into temptations from the evil one that would lead us into dangerous areas that could, could jeopardize the health and longevity of our marriages. Whether we're married or we're single, God, please help us to be faithful to you and faithful to our spouse or to our future spouse. God, I pray for those that are not yet married that the principles we talked about will be planted deep in their hearts. They won't, they won't ever forget them. God, I pray for the marriages that are in this room. You would strengthen them. I pray for the marriages all over Hamburg, God, that you would speak and strengthen them, that they would find themselves coming closer together because of you. I pray for those who are hurting right now, and I ask, God, that you would comfort them. One wife whose husband is gone, passed away, said, it's just hard. It's just hard. God, we just pray for comfort. Help us, God, when the grass seems greener somewhere else. You would give us your power and your presence to focus on our own marriage. We ask for healing where there is hurt and forgiveness and new life for those that need it. I recognize this is really a heavy subject, God. So I pray for those that need to reach out for a counselor. I pray, God, you'll give them courage to do that. And for every marriage that's here, Lord, will you pour out your blessing on the husband and wife. I pray, God, that you would guard their relationship so that they will walk intimately with you till death parts them. And we pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. One of the things that I recognize is that when we deal with marriages where there's problems, sometimes we can't sort it out on our own. And in your, in your bulletin program, we listed our pastoral care contact information as well as some, some uh, counselors here locally. And uh, I would encourage you, sometimes you need somebody who can come in and sort things out and give you some direction. Please, please, do not allow your marriage to go by the wayside because you were too proud to say, hey, maybe we need to talk to somebody. If for no other reason, do it for your kids or your future kids. Please. 
We're going to sing in just a moment. And anytime we have a topic like this, I know it stirs the hearts of uh, a lot of folks. If you want to talk with somebody, you just want somebody to pray with you, we're going to be down front during this song. We'd love to talk with you. If you want to talk to somebody about accepting Jesus, making him the Lord of your life, starting a, a relationship with him, we'd love to talk to you about that. Whatever your, whatever your need is, we'll be down front. We'd love to, we'd love to share with you. Let's stand together. Let's worship him.